Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Scared to death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that has no heart, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hello, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello. Hello. Uh, two uh, super fun announcements, and then we're off into our show today. What if you said, like, two super terrible announcements? Su- two super lame. <laughs> no, just uh, two free things. Oh, we like free stuff. Uh, the first is Sunday, August 27th, 4 p.m. Just a reminder to watch the debut of my new stand-up special, Trying to Get Better, uh, releasing for free on the Bad Magic Productions YouTube channel. I'll be there in the comment feed for the initial release. Please share it if you like it. And again, it's just Sunday, August 27th, 4 p.m. Pacific time on the Bad Magic Productions YouTube channel. The comedy special, trying to get better, and then it'll just stay on the channel. And uh, yeah, I'm very proud of it. And also very excited to introduce something we have been working on behind the scenes for a few months. Yay! Over the years, we have become huge advocates of mental health. It's something each and every one of us deals with. And, uh, you know, as we became more vocal about our own journeys, so have you. The more the emails rolled in, the more responsibility we began to feel, and that has led us to partner with BetterHelp for the occasional special segment, Don't Be Scared to Ask for Help, where we will share some insight and advice given to us by a licensed therapist. And all of the questions we asked were submitted by listeners. Thank you for doing that. And that segment will be at the very end of today's episode. And that's it. Woohoo. I'm excited for that. Me too. Yeah. Uh, How many fan stories for us this week, Lindsay Lou? I have two um my first story is kind of bizarro is like uh, it left me wondering is a is this place haunted is this person haunted uh is there something in the house that wants to keep other people away from somebody very very interesting and then my second story is perhaps a friendly ghost story and we haven't had one of those in a while but like can a ghost can something from the other side give you a warning to keep you safe okay I like it. I like it too. I like those. Uh, I once again have two as well. Uh, for the first, we'll cover a bunch of paranormal Gamecock lore. What? Uh, Gamecock lore. AKA lore from the University of South Carolina, the Gamecocks. Wow. That's their, that's their uh, you know, mascot, the Gamecocks. What idiot thought of that? It's a rooster. Sure it is. Uh, we've also added an alleged modern paranormal encounter, encounter said to have taken place uh, at the university's Longstreet Theater. 
And then for my next story, we meet a traveling nurse who claims to have been terrorized by a strange, seemingly sentient entity in his short-term rental in Colton, California, just outside of Riverside. Oh, okay. How dangerous could some black mold be? Oh, I just learned something really interesting about mold. Mm. Do you guys know you're supposed to wash your washing machines? I didn't yeah, know Lindsay's that. Lindsay's been trying to kill me for years <laughs> and poisoning me. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> so you ready to get started? You got yeah. your socks on? I got my socks on, Dan. Look at these babies. It's been a while since I've talked about crystals, oh, yeah. so nice. it felt like a good time to bring some crystal back into the show, which don't worry, guys. I still really am into them and have recently bought new ones. <laughs> uh, perfect. Decent amount of historical setup before we get to the modern encounter in this story. Are you going to tell us Gamecock history? Gamecock lore? Mm -hmm. Uh, The (laughs) University of South Carolina, located in the state capitals uh, or in the state's capital city of Columbia, chartered in 1801. It opened in 1805 under the name of South Carolina College, and it was the first state college fully supported by annual public funding. The college's initial curriculum was inspired by the top universities of New England, focused on Latin and ancient Greek literature with an emphasis on oratory. South Carolina's elite now sent their sons to study there instead of shipping them further east. School closed in 1862 due to the American Civil War and was converted for use as a military hospital until 1865. Many young soldiers would die, obviously painful deaths there. The school reopened in 1866, then closed again in 1877, then reopened in 1880 as the College of Agriculture and Mechanic Arts. Since 1906, the school has been named the University of South Carolina. With a lengthy history, it's no surprise that USC has a few reportedly haunted locations, one of which is the Horseshoe at the center of campus. Uh, The Horseshoe is the oldest part of campus. When the school first opened its doors, Rutledge College was the only building. Eventually, 11 other buildings were added, all facing the same beautiful garden area where students would gather. These first dozen structures formed a U-shape, now known as the Horseshoe. And allegedly, the spirit of former university president, James Ryan McKissick, has been spotted in the horseshoe. He died unexpectedly in 1944 while acting as president. McKissick was beloved by the students at USC, and they successfully petitioned for him to be buried on campus. His body now rests outside the library, on the opposite of the horseshoe from the museum named in his honor. Ever since, some museum workers have claimed to hear footsteps or see objects moving inside the McKissick Museum and attribute this to his ghost. Harmless ghost. There are also stories of another entity, not alleged to be harmless, very strange one, a supposed cryptid known as Third Eye Man. And according to what some locals believe, he's been wandering around campus since the end of the 1940s. Third Eye Man has been described as a disfigured figure with a third eye in the middle of his forehead who started being spotted reportedly roaming through Columbia's underground utility tunnels, some of which are located beneath campus. The first sighting of Third Eye Man reportedly occurred at 10.43 p.m., November 12, 1949, when two students were walking near the Longstreet Theater, said they saw a man in a silvery suit pry open a manhole cover. They claimed to then see this man climb into the sewer and close the cover from within. One of the witnesses, Christopher Nichols, was a reporter for the school paper, and he rushed to his room and immediately started working on an article about the sewer man. Story was a talk at campus for a few weeks, but eventually, as news seems to do, no matter how titillating, story lost the students' attention. But then five months later, on April 7th, 1950, a police officer patrolling campus found two mutilated chickens on the loading docks of the Longstreet Theater. And when he returned to the scene after making his initial report, he now found a man in silver bending over a carcass. When he shined his light at the man, he said he saw a disfigured face with a third eye in the middle of his forehead. 
Scared, the officer rushed to a squad car, called for backup. When the other officers arrived, all that remained of the scene were chicken bones and feathers. The officer couldn't convince his colleagues that he really saw a man with a third eye, so they wrote off the officer's claims as being attributed not to the paranormal, but to poor lighting and a very overactive imagination. Uh, Nevertheless, Third Eye Man was now a campus urban legend. And in October of 1960, the legend grew. A group of frat boys took three pledges down into the steam tunnels beneath the school uh, for their initiation. And the whole group later claimed that they turned a corner and encountered a silvery figure in the shadows. They said the figure held a lead pipe in his hand and suddenly charged at them. They raced to the exit where one of them was tackled to the ground and hit with a pipe, suffering minor cuts on his face and hands. They reported the entire incident to the police who searched the tunnels for the assailant, but found nothing. While no third-eye man was spotted, this attack was nevertheless still attributed to the creature. And in response to the incident, the school's administration had almost all the tunnel entrances sealed. Grad student Mark Minksker later told author Alan Brown for his book Haunted South Carolina, published in 2010, that he thinks sightings of the third-eye man diminished in the 70s, 80s, and 90s because the campus police were now reluctant to enter the harder-to-access tunnels. And because students were threatened with suspension or expulsion if they did so. Or none of that happened. And all of this is a bunch of BS. University archivist Elizabeth West reports that Third Eye Man is more than likely total fiction. She says the story originated in one of the school's creative writing classes in the 90s. And that all of what I just shared with you, the police encounters, the attack on the fraternity guys, the school locking down the tunnels, all a bunch of nonsense. One haunted location on campus with plenty of first-hand, uh, first-hand encounter stories not believed to be a bunch of BS, though, that would be Longstreet Theater. Longstreet Theater was built in 1855. The building was originally named College Hall. It was intended to be an auditorium and chapel, but then those plans were scrapped due to poor acoustics. During the Civil War, Longstreet Theater served as a hospital and morgue. From 1870 to, 18, uh, to 1887, it was used as an army arsenal and armory. In 1887, the building was renamed Science Hall and was now home to the college's science departments and labs. Five years later, became a gymnasium. 1968, the gym was renamed again after former college president Augustus B. Longstreet. Longstreet was president from 1856 to 1861. After another renovation, the building opened as a theater, back to its originally intended purpose in 1977. And now today, Longstreet Theater is used by the Department of Theater and Dance and the USC Opera Program. And there are many reports of strange sights and sounds in the building. Some students have reportedly seen apparitions inside the theater, ghosts that are believed to be the spirits of former hospital patients. One apparition has been spotted on numerous occasions, always seen sitting in the hall near the theater, and always disappearing within a few seconds of being discovered. The theater's green room, once part of the morgue, is the building's primary paranormal hotspot. Many students and staff have claimed to have felt cold spots and to have heard strange noises and doors slamming by themselves. Professor Ann Dreher told Haunted South Carolina author Alan Brown that you can just feel the vibrations inside the theater. Dr. Thorne Compton, former chair of the Department of Theater and Dance, said the green room feels cold and creepy at night and that many students refuse to go into the green room alone. Another instructor named Lisa Gavilets talked with the Student Gamecock Television program about Longstreet Theater in 2021. She said she's certain that there are ghosts in the building, and if you are in the building late at night, you will almost certainly hear strange noises. She also believes that most of the strange activity occurs in the basement. And finally, University Archivist Elizabeth West again said that if any one place on campus is truly haunted, it is Longstreet. The following story comes from an alumni who agrees. Uh, 
she claims to have experienced something unexplainable in the theater's basement. Time now for the tale of the Longstreet Ghost. Monica was about halfway through her freshman year at USC. She was majoring in history and had decided to minor in theater. She thought it would be fun to earn credits for something she might not have any career interest in, but something she truly loved. She was finally starting to settle into college life and felt like she was doing an all right job of managing her grades and still having a life outside of classes. Her minor was a pretty big time uh, commitment, but all her closest friends were involved with the theater program, so it didn't feel like her social life was taking a hit when she had a late rehearsal or had to stay up all night working on props instead of going to a party. She was still with her friends. But as much as she loved the school's theater program, the theater itself gave her the creeps, especially the lower level where the dressing rooms and storage were. She knew it was a morgue during the Civil War, and she'd heard plenty of ghost stories since freshman year. One of her friends even said that when she was alone in the dressing room, she felt someone breathing down her neck. Monica didn't know if she believed her. This friend, in typical theater fashion, pretty dramatic. And she tended to exaggerate. She even admitted doing some of that one night, saying it made for better stories. Still, Monica sometimes got a strange feeling when she was down there. When the basement was packed with the entire cast getting ready all at once, she felt fine, but she felt nervous when she was the only one in the green room. Or rather, when she was supposed to be the only one. On those occasions, she always felt like someone she couldn't see was with her. A late night in October would be the most intense of those occasions. Of those occasions, Monica was at the theater with a large group of fellow students. They had a show coming in a week, Shakespeare's Macbeth, and were doing their second-to-last dress rehearsal. The professor was angry because some people were still forgetting lines and stumbling around the stage without knowing where to go. Before storming off to take a smoke break, she told them that she didn't care if they were there until sunrise. No one was leaving until she was satisfied that they weren't going to screw up on opening night. Monica was one of the three witches, a minor yet important role. She remembered how excited she was to see her name on the cast list next to all the juniors and seniors. She was one of only three freshmen who had speaking roles. Also, though, as a freshman, she was often stuck doing the grunt work nobody else wanted to do. So Monica wasn't surprised when Jessica Ross, a senior playing Lady Macbeth, approached her during the, their short break and asked, clasping her hands under her chin and giving her a fake smile as she did so, Hey, Monica, could you do me a huge favor? Monica didn't dislike Jessica, but she didn't like how she only talked to underclassmen when she wanted something. What's up? Monica asked. I left my performance shoes in the dressing room last time I was down there. Professor Wilson's coming back soon. With the mood she's in, she'll kill me once she realizes I'm wearing sneakers. I need to review my stage notes for the next scene. Could you please go get them for me? Monica held in a sigh. Where are they? Jessica clapped her hands in delight. You're a lifesaver. They're inside my red duffel bag with my name embroidered on it. It's on the table in the back corner of the women's dressing room. She squeezed Monica's shoulder as she walked off. Will one of you go with me? Monica asked her fellow witches, Alexa and Valerie. No way, Valerie answered. I never go down there after dark. Alexa gave a rueful smile. Sorry, me neither. Annoyed, Monica walked off without saying anything more, rolling her eyes as soon as her back was turned. She wanted to think she was cooler than a lot of her fellow students, but the truth was she was also scared and nervous to go down there at night. Monica stood in front of the elevator and pressed the button. The doors opened a moment later. She stepped inside and tapped her foot as the doors slowly closed. The elevator jolted as it started to descend. It was a short ride to the lower level. Monica prepared to step outside and felt her heart start to beat a little faster when she felt like the doors were taking a moment too long to open. The delay was just a couple seconds longer than normal, but enough for her to notice. 
She started to panic, her chest tightening and her breath quickening. Monica was somewhat claustrophobic. She was fine riding in elevators almost all the time, but the mere thought of being stuck in one made her start to completely freak out. She put her hand against the door to calm herself, and a moment later she jerked back when the door slowly opened. She almost fell to the floor trying to get out. She didn't think she'd ever felt so relieved, and she made a mental note to tell Professor Wilson about it so she could make a maintenance report. Monica took a moment to collect herself. The entire ordeal probably lasted less than 10 seconds, but it still left her feeling nervous and disoriented. Girls' dressing room, red duffel bag, she muttered to herself as she headed in that direction. She spotted the bag right away and found Jessica's shoes resting on top of some other clothes. Monica checked her watch, checked her watch. It had been about three minutes since she left the auditorium. She needed to head back. Professor Wilson would be furious if she noticed that any of the main cast members were absent during rehearsal. Monica decided she had just enough time to use the bathroom before she left. She really had to go. She placed the shoes on a table and walked over and into the restroom. She checked her watch again and she walked back out. As she contemplated whether to risk the elevator again or run up the stairs, she looked at the table and noticed that the shoes were not where she'd left them. Her eyes shifted around the room in confusion. Could they have fallen off the table? She'd put them right in the middle and no one else was there to accidentally knock them off. At least she didn't think so. But then at that moment, she heard a door softly close behind her. Someone else was down there with her. Hello? Monica called out. Silence. Monica saw that the women's dressing room door was now closed while all the others were still open. Odd, but she figured someone must have just snuck down here to grab something or change. Still, a strange chill washed over her. She rubbed her arms to fight off the sudden cold. Monica paused for a moment to listen. Normally, you could hear everything through the walls, but she didn't hear any sounds of someone in the room moving items or shuffling through the clothing. She knocked on the door, not wanting to open it in case someone was really changing and wanted some privacy. Hello, she called. Someone in there? No response. So she tried again. It's Monica. I'm going to head back up. Just giving you a heads up that Wilson will be back from her smoke break any minute. You might want to hurry. Shrugging her shoulders, she turned away from the door and continued scanning the room for the shoes. Monica, startled, when she saw that they were back on the table, sitting right where she'd left them. She might be a sleep-deprived college student, but that, but she wasn't that tired. There was no way she'd just imagine that the shoes were gone a moment ago. Monica shook her head in disbelief. Whatever, she said, picking up her shoes, uh, the shoes and heading for the stairs. She froze when she heard a door open behind her. She didn't want to turn around, but at the same time, she had a distinct feeling of a presence behind her. She was afraid. She was definitely afraid. But also, she definitely wanted to look. Before she could turn around, she felt a rush of cold air against her back strong enough that it made a soft whoosh sound, causing a shudder to roll through her body. Monica whipped her head around and saw nothing. The door was open. The room was empty. Time to leave, she decided. Monica wanted to take the stairs, but for some reason now she felt like she couldn't go over there. As strange as it was to put into words, she felt like there was a presence in the room with her and that it was in that direction. Elevator it was, even though that filled her with a different kind of fear. What if the ghost, or whatever it was, could get her stuck in the elevator? She didn't have time for these thoughts. Monica pressed the button again, and the doors opened a moment later, just like normal. Before she could step inside, though, she felt another blast of cold air behind her. This time, it was followed by the feeling of two hands coming at her from the side, pushing her down onto the hard floor, causing the shoe to go flying out of her hands. One of them landed the shoes. One of them landed off to the side. Another landed in the elevator. Monica watched from her place on the ground now as the door closed, and she heard the elevator moving up. She looked around, shaking with fear now. Something had just pushed her, but there was no one there. Still, she was sure that she felt hands against her body, roughly shoving her to the ground. 
Whatever was near her, it didn't seem to like her very much. She decided she wasn't waiting around to see what was going to happen next. She stood up and ran in the other direction, not even pausing to turn on the light, as she sprinted up the short flight of stairs. She slammed her hands against the metal bar that would push the door open, but it didn't budge. She tried again and again, but the door wasn't moving. Had someone locked her in? Was this some kind of freshman initiation prank that she didn't know about? Trying hard not to panic, she ran back to the elevator, frantically pressing the button to send it back down to her, and she heard nothing. Now, fighting back tears, she ran over to the stairs again, this time turning on the nearby light, checking for any kind of lock that might be in place. Monica didn't know how long she stood there, alternating between pushing against the door with all her strength and trying to look for some locking mechanism she couldn't uh, couldn't find. In the middle of her internal chaos, she heard the elevator doors open. She stood up straight, dreading what might happen next, but also hoping someone else was there to rescue her. Monica? She heard Jessica's voice billow out into the main room. I'm here, she shouted, running as fast as she could. I'm right here. Jessica looked concerned. Monica noticed that she was holding one of her shoes in her hand. Monica was gripping the other tightly. Jessica's eyes flicked to the shoe in her hand. Are you okay? Uh, uh, yeah. Monica tried to play it cool, but her voice was shaking. And she was still freaking out a little. She had no idea what had just happened over the past two minutes. Okay, what are you doing here? Monica asked. Jessica gave her a strange look before answering. You were taking forever. I I waited for you by the elevator so I could get the shoes from you as soon as you came up. And then the elevator came up, but you weren't in it. I just saw one of my shoes laying there. Super creepy. So I came down to check on you. Are you really okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Monica didn't sound very convincing. How did you send the elevator up? I thought you had to be inside to do that. Um, I didn't send it up? She said what sounded more like a question than an answer. Jessica really took in Monica's appearance, probably noticing how shaken up she seemed. Jessica hesitated before asking, Did something happen? No, uh, nothing happened, I'm fine. Jessica took a deep breath. Okay, look, weird stuff sometimes happens down here at night. Not everyone believes it, but it's true. Word of advice, don't come down here by yourself. I thought one of your friends would go with you. That's what we always did when we were freshmen. Sorry I didn't make that clear. Monica wasn't sure what to say. Luckily, she didn't need to respond. Jessica told her they needed to leave. Professor Wilson had to take a phone call, but she was about to start rehearsal again. They were both too nervous now to take the elevator. Monica decided not to say anything about the stairs just to see what would happen. It was difficult to suppress her shock when Jessica easily pushed the door open, finally freeing her from the green room prison she'd been in for the past few minutes. Monica continued with rehearsal and tried her best to forget about what had happened. She also made a promise to herself that she would never go down into the green room alone again. Hi, hi, hi. I was thinking about all of the green rooms we've been in. Oh, yeah. And all these theaters. Mm-hmm. theaters. Sometimes they are in the basement. Yep. Comedy clubs. Like all just all the different spaces. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, man. Just being like trapped. Like the one in yeah. Denver. It's like. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was such a weird. You had to like go down this flight of stairs and then you kind of like turned a corner. And then you went up this flight of stairs and you went this way. And then the bathroom was over here. It would <laughs> be so terrifying. Oh, and then there was like that like weird hallway of like other rooms that your buddy Paul and his wife... Oh, yeah, wife, they got, like, And they were like, in. yeah, we were in, like, a cage. And I was like, what? And they just got stuck in there. It was it's, so strange. It's a labyrinth back there a lot of times. And a lot of the older ones, like, they've been remodeled and remodeled again and again and uh, used for different purposes and things. And then all the remnants of that are still kind of underground and behind the stage. Yeah, yeah. So uh, creepy to get trapped down there. Mm-hmm. I have some pics. This first one, a cute pic of what I think is the main admissions building for the University of South Carolina. Oh, that is cute. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And then this uh, this next one. This is the horseshoe. So this is that horseshoe at the center of campus. Yeah, just a, like a really, you know, 
uh, pretty like, you know, quad area, green area that, you know, you find at most uh, small colleges. Yeah. It, it doesn't immediately look like a horseshoe. That's why I was like, wait, what? I know. You need to see like an aerial shot. That's and I couldn't I find thinking. one that was uh, what I wanted. Yeah. Uh, here's one that's an exterior shot of the Long Street Theater. Okay. Yeah. Cool, to, uh, cool. I've been to that city once and it was really pretty. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't find any uh, spooky interior shots at the theater, but I did find a, uh, this picture of a portion of the underground tunnels beneath Columbia, South Carolina. Okay, because I was going to ask you about the tunnels. Like- yeah, it, it appears that no one knows for certain why the tunnels were built. The most common theory is that they provided a way of escape during the Civil War. People could jump into the tunnels and get out of the city. Uh, other theories are that the tunnels were once part of the Underground Railroad, uh, that they were drainage tunnels to help with flooding. Or they were used to transport goods carried up the river that cuts through town that leads to the ocean. So I don't know if like there was a fire where records were lost. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't seem like anybody knows with absolute certainty why these tunnels are all there. I mean, I feel like logically they were built to transport something at some point and then left yeah. over, like stopped being used and then left over and used for other things like the Underground Railroad. Yeah. I, I know a lot of times like in other cities, like freight randomly you know, was uh, the uh, tunnels like this would be built to connect to like some kind of port, oh, and then they would sense. and then they would bring goods into all the businesses like from underneath. Yeah, uh, which I guess uh, made sense at that time. Yeah, I guess like a subway system, but just sort like of. a pedestrian subway system. <sighs> I don't know. Well, there's no way that I'm going into any underground tunnel system outside yeah. of a subway. Yeah, it is just inherently creepy because forget about like paranormal stuff. I just think about like same thing I think about when I'm in a mine, the few times I've been in one of just like how terrifying it would be if something collapsed. Right, right. And just no thank you. Just stuck down in complete darkness and the stale air and no food supply. Well, actually, we ran into a fan of ours that had- Oh, yeah. They gave us a tour. Yeah, we had gotten to visit the Sunshine Mine, uh, the Galena Mine. Yeah, uh, not too far from Coeur d'Alene near um, Kellogg. Kellogg. Yeah, yeah. There's like a very famous, very sad accident that happened at the Sunshine Mine, but you, it's like kind of this all area. So anyways, we were chatting with him and yeah. he was like, oh yeah, like he has since switched jobs because mm-hmm. there was a time where they, like a bunch of them got trapped down there and he just said it was, I mean, I don't think anybody died. I don't think anybody got hurt, no. but it was just so terrifying. Yeah, and I'm sure it just made him reevaluate like, you know. Yeah, he's a young dad. And, yeah, what yeah. happened if they couldn't get us out? Uh, I might yeah. be done too. Yeah, how long until we all start like turning on each other? <laughs> oh, this is such a random question, but it bothered me so much. Mm-hmm. So the, what's his face? Longhorn or whatever that got buried Long there? Long Street. Long Street. Longhorn, Long Street. Uh, so the students petitioned to have him buried there, but then when, was his whole family buried there with him? Like, I got to tell you, I don't care how much anybody loves you. Yeah. They want to bury you outside of a theater and name it like the Dan Cummins Theater. I'm like, yeah, that's fine and well, but also- Oh, McKissick I, was the one buried there, but yeah. I want to be buried with him too. Yeah, so there must be, I mean, there's like more to that story, I'm sure, where it's like, maybe he was a bachelor. Maybe he was, because, yeah, no, I, yeah, now- now I wish I would have looked into to that one further, but it didn't strike me as, I, I just didn't really care about the detail at the time. But now I am wondering, like, yeah, like, how does that work? If, like, if he was going to be buried by his family, right. and then he dies thinking he's going to be buried by his family, and then a bunch of students are like, no, 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 we want him over here. We love him. I don't know. Maybe in those situations, you just, like, start sharing, like, body parts. Like, all right, listen, we'll give yeah. you the left <laughs> the left arm and the left leg, but his right arm and his right leg go with his wife. He He must have wanted to be buried there, too. 
It must have been, or like the family got involved. I know, I know, it's silly. you can't just like move somebody to where you want them to be if you're not a relative, I don't think. (laughs) I don't think you can. (laughs) Was that like the students petitioned to have him buried there, so. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But but if he didn't want some, you know, to also go there, it's like, I don't, their their petition shouldn't mean anything. Well, he's already dead, so yeah. Right, but what I'm saying is like legally, like we we couldn't just have a petition to be like, hey, I want so-and-so buried over by the studio. I just think they're cool. (laughs) Actually, that would be so hilarious. Yeah. We just like start some weird online petition. Right. Some famous horror author. We just like, we're like, listen, there's a cemetery like right across the street. And we just think mm-hmm. it'd be really fun. So dig them up and bring them over. <laughs> How funny would that be? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, uh, yeah. I don't think that works. I don't, I don't think that's how, <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. Okay. You ready to move on? I am. Now we move away from any traditional notions of ghosts and spirits when it comes to a place being haunted right after today's mid-show sponsor break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know that feeling when you suddenly realize you have an hour-sized hole in your schedule and you get so excited to fill it with something you love? Maybe it's an hour to get to the gym, go on a hike, cook yourself a special meal, or simply read a good book. Most of us wish we had more time for the things we love. If your time was unlimited, what would you do with it? One way to make space in your busy life for the things that are special to you is to identify those things and then prioritize them. Therapy is an excellent way to sift through your obligations and to sort out the things that you need to do and weigh them against what you want to do. Once you do that, a therapist can help you find ways to make more time for the things you enjoy doing. Dan, you and I know all about trying to find balance between obligations and hobbies. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, we spent so many years with our heads down trying to grow our business that we lost sight of the things we enjoy doing outside of work. Mm -hmm. This year, I've been working with my therapist to reevaluate what brings me joy and how to find more time to do it. I love to read, to cook, to work out, to show up for my friends, and to serve my community. I lost all of that in our hustle and grind. By working with my therapist, I have found small pockets of time in my schedule that I could not see before. Turns out I do have a few hours every week that I can work out. Can I do everything I want? Of course not. But I no longer feel like I can't do anything at all. And I no longer feel paralyzed by the weight of my life. It's a process for sure, but one I could not work through without therapy. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Thanks for listening to those deals, creeps, and peepers. Hope you found some good ones. So could a bunch of mold uh, be something more than a basic health risk and an annoying nuisance? Going to jump right into this one. Time now for the tale of a dark rebirth. 
I didn't see the black toxic mold until I was days away from the end of my lease. I spotted it up in the corner of my shower, a dark fuzzy mess spilling out from three of the four sides of the tile. So thick. And when I touched that tile, it fell to the floor and shattered. Underneath it, so much mold. I couldn't believe it hadn't already fallen down. The mold was clearly all over the bathroom, behind the tiles and in the walls. I think it's hidden everywhere inside the house. In all the walls, up in the attic, down in the basement, everywhere. After finding it in the bathroom, I looked for more of it, and I found little hints of its existence in every room. In my bedroom, I saw some especially thick mold on a corner where there was a little bit of wallpaper peeling back, pulling slightly on the wallpaper. It was just like the bathroom, but even worse. So much mold underneath the paper, so thick, too thick. I'm not an expert when it comes to mold, but looking around online and talking to people since my experience, the way the mold was spread around the home I was staying in was not natural. I think there's so much about that mold that isn't natural. I think it's tied to some kind of darkness, perhaps created by it. Or it is the darkness somehow. I think it's alive and terrible. And even though I've been to several doctors now who all say I'm fine, I'm not fine. And I think the mold's responsible. It's inside of me now, waiting to consume me. I'd moved to Riverside, California for a three-month rotation, working as a traveling nurse at the Riverside Community Hospital. I don't like staying in hotels for months on end, and have always looked for short-term rentals. And that's what led me to staying in the top floor of an old craftsman home in the south end of Colton. Two bedrooms and two baths, a little bigger than I needed, but a good price, and a short drive on side streets from the hospital. The owner, Sasha, lived downstairs, and maybe I should have taken in his appearance, demeanor, and overall, I don't know, vibe, as a warning. I almost let out a gasp when he answered the door. He answered in a dirty bathrobe, greasy, unkempt hair, bloodshot eyes, yellow teeth, and an odd overall demeanor. At first, he seemed irritated that someone was interrupting him. He snapped, Can I help you? With a scowl and a glare. When I told him I was the new tenant coming to pick up the keys for the furnished upstairs unit, his scowl turned into an uncomfortable grin. Now he was leering at me. He literally looked me up and down like I was an escort. He'd called to come over and he really liked what he saw. I immediately made a mental note to check my place for cameras and peepholes. You just never know. I also worried that the place wasn't going to be any cleaner than his was. What did I get myself into? Come in, I'll grab your keys, Sasha now said as he held the door open. I walked into a home that looked like it was about to be featured on some series about hoarders. There was just junk stacked floor to ceiling everywhere, and the whole place smelled sour, musty. I couldn't wait to get back out and started thinking about how I was going to get out of my lease. But soon he was handing me my keys and a few printed out pages going over who to call in case things go wrong, where things were located, the Wi-Fi password, how to use the TV, etc., I couldn't believe how well-organized his instructions were compared to the state of filthy disarray he lived in. When I skimmed the part about trying to be out of the house when the cleaning lady uh, came over every two weeks, I almost let out an audible, oh, thank you, Jesus. And to his credit, it was clean. Or at least it looked clean. The mold was 100% hidden. I didn't notice anything when I brought my suitcases in. The top floor of the old home was the opposite of Sasha's area, minimalist and clean. The windows were left open, air smelled fresh, It was a sunny day and light filled the place. It would be thickly overcast and raining the day I ran out. Fitting. Each day I stayed there, the place became a little darker. The the progression into a hopeless dreariness was slow and steady, so much so you barely noticed it. 
It was like I was the frog, and the water I was sitting in was steadily headed towards boiling. Boiling. I was so excited to spend some time in Southern California, I'm from Northern Michigan, and I was full of energy and joy when I got there. I was making good money on my rotation, plenty of money to travel on my days off to the beach, do a bunch of hiking, take in some concerts and sights, do a bit of glamping. It was wonderful. But after that first month, I started to feel a bit too tired to want to go anywhere when I wasn't working. I started staying home more, eating out less, ordering in or cooking, staying in. I started feeling a bit depressed. I chalked it up to my single nomadic lifestyle. I hadn't been in one place for more than a few months for a couple of years now. Maybe I was getting burned out. Maybe homesick. Maybe I needed to find someone and settle down somewhere and stay in one place. And then I started having nightmares. In my new and terrible dreams, I always found myself laying down somewhere. Maybe in my bed, or on the floor, or outside on the ground, always totally paralyzed. And something I later recognized as black mold, before I even knew I was surrounded by it in real life. It was eating me. Or maybe absorbing is a better word. A moving puddle of sentient blackness was turning me into more of whatever it was. Melting away my flesh, dissolving my bones, completely erasing and absorbing me. Before I'd wake up, there was nothing left to me. But I still existed somehow. My consciousness was melded with the thing that had taken me. And now a big part of me wanted to get uh, go absorb someone else. I wanted to consume. But another part of me wanted to escape, to die, to be anywhere but trapped inside of what I was now a part of. Around two months after moving in, my new co-workers at the hospital were starting to get really concerned. I'd lost weight, probably 15 pounds. Weight I didn't have to lose. I was real lean already when I first showed up. The circles under my eyes looked like they were becoming permanent. And my demeanor had changed. I wasn't nearly as talkative or friendly as before. I never went out with anyone for a drink or to lunch anymore. I wasn't interested in whatever anyone around me was talking about. Normally, I'd always loved nursing. But after two months of being in that place, I hated going to work. I called in sick a few times. When I did go, I was counting the minutes until I could leave and just be home. All I wanted was to be home. I talked to the company that assigns me to different locations and tried to see if I could re-up so I could stay in my new digs. But that wasn't an option. I asked my supervisor at the hospital if there was a way to make my position permanent, and he said he'd talk to his superiors. The next day, he told me that unfortunately it wasn't possible. I think it was possible. Just not possible for me. I don't blame her. By the time I asked about wanting to stay, my hygiene was really starting to slip. I was only showering once every few days. I wasn't brushing my teeth that often. I wasn't washing my face. None of that mattered to me anymore. And then I started seeing something at home, always at night. When I laid on the couch or in bed, it would appear in the darkness across the room. A dark cloud would ooze down from where the ceiling met the wall, and it would talk to me, telepathically or something. It had no mouth, no eyes, no nose, no limbs, no discernible features, just an undulating black mass, pulsating, constantly changing shape, a sentient blob. Stay with us. Let go. Join us. Become us. Be reborn. It would say all sorts of creepy shit like that, but at the time it wasn't creepy. It was, I don't know, comforting? Exciting? Thank God I couldn't stay there. If I had figured out a way to do so, I would still be there, but you wouldn't know it. Officially, I think I'd be listed as missing. Finally, just a few days from the end of my rotation, I woke up from the dark fog I was living in just a bit. I overheard someone at work who didn't know I was nearby talking about me. Have you smelled Michael recently? What the hell is going on there? Does he just not shower or brush his teeth or comb his hair anymore? He literally smells like shit. 
Should one of us say something? I mean, yeah, it's going to be so awkward, but someone needs to tell him. A, it's fucking gross to work around someone like that. And B, I'm legitimately worried about him. Something is not right. Mental illness? I had never heard anyone talk about me that way. Not ever. Not even close. I wondered, was I mentally ill? I mean, I've been talking to a black blob on the ceiling almost every night for weeks. When I got home that night, I fought the urge to again just lay down and do nothing. To lay down and wait for that thing to lull me to sleep, to lull me into nightmares I stopped waking up from. Instead, I turned on all the lights, opened all the windows, and took a shower. A long, hot shower. And that's when I saw that mold. Black, toxic mold. That was what the blob was made up of. That's what I'd been consumed by in my dreams. It's what I was on the way to becoming a part of. I'm convinced. I grabbed all the things, all my things, after doing a bit more inspecting, and I drove to a motel. A motel near a laundromat. I stayed up nearly all night, washing literally every article of clothes I owned twice. And I must have taken four showers. And I slowly started to become a little bit like myself again, just a bit. I went to a 24-hour diner, gorged on pancakes and eggs, the most I'd eaten since the first few weeks after moving in. I stayed at that motel for the next couple of nights until my rotation was up. I still had the dreams, but at least I was waking up from them again. At least I was showering and eating. I inspected every inch of that motel room for mold and couldn't find any. I inspect every inch of every place I stay at now, worried it's hiding around me again, that it's found me. When I returned to drop off my keys to Sasha, he didn't answer the door. I realized I hadn't seen him in weeks, maybe a month. Did the mold already absorb him? I slid my keys under the door and just left. Right before I got into my car, I looked up at my place and shuddered. I'd left a few lights on and some curtains open, and the mold was everywhere. Had it been like that for a while and I just hadn't noticed I couldn't see it? The place I was staying at now looked more like uh, Sasha's place when I'd first moved in than it did like my place when I first moved in. And I saw that blob. I heard it. Where are you going? Stay. Be reborn. Join us. I got in my car and drove away. And as I did, I noticed I had a little cough. A little tickle in my lungs. Mold? Is it inside of me? That cough hasn't gotten away. It's gotten worse. And I'm still not 100% in other ways. I don't have the energy I used to. I don't have the same joy for life. Some days I just want to lay down and just give up. Doctors keep telling me that I'm fine, but I assure you, I am not fine. Did I really escape when I left that night? Or did I just, did I just prolong the inevitable, some horrific final transformation? Yikes. Michael. I have no pics associated with this story. No, I mean, I hope not. But here's the kind of mold I imagine Michael living around. Ugh. How crazy would it be if some sort of paranormal entity could completely change your perception of what you're seeing? So instead of walking in and seeing the reality that is that, but you walk in and you see this like beautiful, pristine, fresh flowers, like whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever it wants you to see. That is terrifying. That is. That is a terrifying, terrifying concept. Uh, When Michael started looking around his place for mold, this is what I imagined him uncovering all over the house. Like just peeling things back and just there it is. Oh. And then this is a fictional monster from Resident Evil 7. The molded, a creature built up of mold colonies. The molded. Oh, yeah, that's totally what I was. I mean, minus the teeth, but I was uh-huh. thinking of something 
like that. Yeah. But like a little bit like softer and fuzzier. I know. I was just thinking of just this blob. Kind of like, well, like that old horror movie. Like I think it's just called The Blob. But just this uh, pulsating kind of mass, but but just made completely out of mold. I was thinking of like Flubber, but just made oh, out of mold. Oh, yeah. Like I thought it was like more, I don't know, gentle, undulating, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, do you remember how much mold was in our apartment in L.A.? Yes. Maybe. <laughs> maybe it got in me. Maybe. It got in us. Maybe that's what's wrong with you. And that went to the washing machine. <laughs> oh my God, the washing machine. <laughs> yeah, I just remember like in the corners of the bathroom mm-hmm. and we would complain about it and complain about it and we would do everything we possibly could in our power to like, but at a certain point. It was in the walls. Yeah. And then they would just like come over and like, just like caulk over it. Like that's mm-hmm. not actually a solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just, oh my god. Just kind gosh. of hide it. Yeah. And then like, okay, if this is happening to you, how do you explain this to someone? I mean, thank you, Michael, wherever you are, if that's yeah. in your real name for sharing the story online. But like, if you... Nothing you say makes you not sound insane. Insane. In some scenario where you and I are not in the same place for a significant period of time because of a job and you're like, slowly, not yourself. And then I ask you what's wrong. You're like, I don't know, there's this blob that talks to me. It's like, I, I am on the next plane <laughs> taking you out of there and immediately into psychiatric care. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we got to figure out what's going on. Why is he depressed? Or, you know... What what is he seeing? I don't know. It's just wild. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sasha, in my mind, before you were telling the story, was the Big Lebowski. Just so you know. Oh, okay. Just Sorry, like you're picturing a, him. Yeah, just like a like dirty, a, like a dirtier Big Lebowski. Yeah, yeah. And then what's that like? Uh, it's not Step Brothers. There's like some movie where Will Ferrell is still living at home with his mom. It's like mom, the meatloaf. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's like something like cross between that guy and the Big Lebowski. Anybody? Yes, I cannot remember. Anybody? I cannot remember that movie, but I but I remember that scene. I, I can't remember the name of the movie. It's not it's not Wedding Crasher. Wait, is it Wedding Crashers? Maybe. Oh man. It might be Wedding Crashers. It might be like uh either Vince Vaughn or Owen Wilson go to see Will Ferrell, who's like the original wedding crasher. I think that's it. Oh, uh, okay. Somebody out there listening. <laughs> Logan said yes. Wedding okay. crashers? Yeah. Yeah. Mom, the meatloaf. I, don't, I should know better. That's my friend's movie, but like, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I just had this like funny vision of uh, Sasha being sort of like a sort of Big Lebowski version of that guy. <laughs> I love that archetype of like the um, the guy my age, not only like, you know, whatever, if you have to live with your family for a while, but the guy who like, is still childlike living yeah, at home yeah, yeah. when it comes to his relationship with his mom. Because that reminds me of the apartment we lived in in LA that you were just talking about. <gasps> there was this oh couple. Oh my gosh, not in, a couple. No, not a couple, two people. Yes. Two people living in the front unit that we'd have to walk by when we parked our car. Yes. And it was a, a son about between 45 and 50. Uh-huh. And his mom of around 70. Mm-hmm. And it was, it felt very much like that dynamic. Yeah, of like, she, mom, come on. Like he, he'd always complain about his mom when I would see him just alone. Because <laughs> like, yeah, she didn't, it didn't seem like he had moved in with her to care for her. It didn't no. have that vibe at all. Yeah. Oh and he seemed gosh. fine as far as like, you know, ability to work. Like he could, it didn't seem like anything was quote unquote wrong with him. He just, uh, you know, was living with mom and, but like, he was an odd duck. And he didn't seem like a kid, like childlike in ways yeah. other than the dynamic with mom. With mom. <laughs> Apartments are such a weird thing when you really think about yeah. like a bunch of random strangers all kind of but not technically cohabitating. Because mm-hmm. when we lived in that apartment, the way that like it was, you'd have that like open parking. And so you would pull down yeah. into this like short driveway. But then if anybody was out in the front apartment, yeah. There was no way 
to come out of your car and walk up and around and down the little like walkway without them being like, hey, mm-hmm. hey. like you're just like, oh God, please don't talk to me. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. I would drive around the block a few times hoping somebody would go back inside so I could like hurry, skedaddle in. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to talk to you. I just want to get to my apartment. <laughs> so silly. All right. You got Layla. I do. Got me on my knees. OG. OG Layla. OG Layla. What were we just talking about recently that I said like OG and you were like, that's not what it means. I don't know. Oh man. I think we were like, it was like something like about like a street or something where we were on vacation with Kyler. And I was like, yeah, that's like OG. And he's like, oh no, that's not, you don't know how to speak the language. (laughs) It was really embarrassing. All right, here we go. Hi, Lindsay and Dan. Hello. (laughs) One of the stories you read recently made me start to draw some conclusions about an incident that happened at my parents' house when I was a teenager. I would love to share the story and to hear what you and Dan have to say about it. Okay. Hand to God, this is a true story. This story takes place at my parents' house in a small city in Arizona. I moved there from Phoenix when I was a sophomore in high school. I was a typical teenager, very angry and upset that I had to move to this small town away from all of my friends and my girlfriend. Not long after I moved there, my girlfriend wanted to come and visit me for the weekend. My parents were cool with it, but they made her sleep in my younger brother's room, and my brother slept in my room on the couch. The first night she was there, she came bursting into my room in the middle of the night and jumped straight into bed with me. I asked her what was going on, and she replied, I'm scared. At first, I thought that was just an excuse to stay in my room. But after a few seconds, I could tell something was truly wrong. She was shaking uncontrollably. And when I asked her what was going on, she said, something is in the house. Something is in my room. Nothing's in your room. You just had a bad dream. Come on, I'll take you back and I'll tuck you into bed and I'll stay with you until you fall back asleep. I don't want to go back in there, she said. She was so visibly shaken and genuinely disturbed. I had never seen her act like this. She was buried in my chest and I could not let her go. Tell me what happened exactly, I said. She told me that she was sound asleep and then suddenly found herself wide awake for no apparent reason. She started to hear strange noises coming from the corner of the room. And then it was like someone was breathing heavily. She said it was like it was breathing down the back of her neck. And then she began to feel as though she was being watched. And when she turned to look at the corner of the room, she could see something but could not describe what it looked like because it was as if whatever she was seeing was changing shapes all while making noises that were, I don't know, animalistic. She laid there terrified as she watched and listened to this living thing move across the room towards the bedroom door. And when it reached the hallway, she said it let out a loud shriek and then ran down the hall. When it got to the end of the hall, which ended at the front door, she heard it open the door, slam it shut, and then that was followed by total silence. She then jumped out of bed and ran to my room. I managed to calm her down and get her back into her room and back to sleep. My room was literally next to my brother's room, and my parents' bedroom was just across the hall. I shared the story with my family the next morning, and no one said they had heard anything all night. We did not have any pets when this happened either. There was an armchair in the corner that she heard the noises coming from. We all joked with her that she had just had one of those weird dreams where you're not quite asleep, but you're not quite awake. But she was so convinced that what she experienced was real. She left the next day, having only had that one encounter. I'd never been a believer in the paranormal type of stories at that point in my life. I could easily rationalize how her mind must have just been messing with her. It happens all the time, right? Well, that logic would stay with me until four years later. I was now in college and dating a different girl. It was the summer, and I was home 
uh, and I was in that same home living with my parents, working my summer job to save money for school. My girlfriend decided to come visit me for the weekend. This was the first time spending the night in my house. And at this point, I was 22. However, my mom still thought I was 17 and made my girlfriend sleep in a separate room. While I thought this was silly, it was their house and their rules, and my girlfriend understood. So she set up to stay in my brother's room. That night, she burst into my room and jumped into bed with me. What's going on? I said, help me, help me. I'm so scared, she said. Still drowsy, I said, what are you talking about? Something's in my room, she said. And I suddenly realized she was shaking, almost on the verge of tears. And I felt tense. What do you mean? Nothing's in your room, I said. She replied with, something was in that room. It ran down the hall screaming, and then it slammed the front door. And when she said that, I was suddenly terrified. I hadn't (laughs) thought about what had happened four nights ago until that very moment. Tell me exactly what happened. I tried to stay as calm as I could, and she went on to tell me almost the exact same story that my high school girlfriend had told me four years ago. She was suddenly awoken, heard the same heavy breathing, and then she could almost feel it on her neck and that she felt like she was being watched. She described it almost the exact same way. I don't know, it sounded like an animal or something, she said. It didn't look like anything, though. It was almost like like, like shape-shifting. And those were her words. I had never said anything during this exchange. And again, I did my best to keep her calm. But she refused to go back in that room, so I let her stay in my room for the night, partly for my sanity as well. In the morning, we briefly talked about what had happened, but I never told her about what happened in high school. She stayed one more night in the house without incident and then left the following day. We stopped seeing each other later that year, not because of what happened that night, and she never stayed in my house ever again. When I graduated college, I bought my own place and never had anyone stay in my parents' house again. Pretty creepy, right? These two girls had never met each other, they had no connections at all, and yet they told me almost the exact same story. My brother slept in that room for 10 years and never described anything like that happening. I'm a very hard facts kind of guy. Hmm. I had always heard ghost stories, but I never really believed any of them. Besides, there was really no reason for this house to be haunted. There had been no deaths, murders, or anything that would cause something to haunt it. So I mostly shrugged it off, and I forgot about it. Until I listened to the scared-to-death story about Harold the doll, and it dawned on me. My mom has a very large doll collection. She's been collecting them since I can remember. She has literally hundreds of them on display all over our house. Maybe one of them, uh, yeah, has the ability, like, wh- like whether or not like something actually ran down the hall. And I think in the first, well, yeah, both stories, it was like a little shape shifty. Uh huh. Whether or not that was like a physical thing, and you know, like, cause like I know in the first story, um, in high school, and this person never gave their name, right? Just talked about having, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, that, uh, you know, whoever uh, had the two girlfriends, they said in, like, the first story, like, no other members of the house heard right. the door shutting. Right, or the, or the screaming Yeah, none or of anything. that, none yeah. of that. And it wasn't mentioned in the second one, so I'm going to assume, obviously, that no one heard anything that time either. I would assume, yes. Yeah, so, but, like, what's so interesting about this story is that whether or not it was physical, not physical, doesn't matter. I like that he made it clear, or she made it clear, you know, whoever made it clear that, uh, they weren't told, like the second girlfriend wasn't told about the first girlfriend's right, right. experiences. Right, there was no like, okay, but be careful because there might be something in the room. Right. Nope, and, no connection and, whatsoever. And if that seed was never planted for sure, then that second person, even if it was just a dream, having that same uber-specific dream in that place that was scary is 
Yeah, that would that would turn me into a believer if I wasn't already also. Yeah, and I was thinking about the doll thing. Like, I thought that was an interesting detail at the mm-hmm. end because it's like, well, did like one little doll get out and like? Did there was there one doll that just you know really loved this person and didn't want them to be with anyone? Like I don't know, right, just right, like some right. weird kind of uh, childlike uh, attachment and jealousy, and then it would like go into that room and like because like also a doll. I was thinking about this like the shape shifting kind of vibe. It's like you know a doll can be very little, but then like with the right lighting, it can you know the shadow mm-hmm. can be really big, but then like you can be kind of out of it. It can, I don't know if it's alive can it like puff itself up make itself seem bigger than it is like i don't know it's an odd story it's so peculiar i don't know what i would believe in if i was them but i would believe in something something paranormal i would definitely want to start running experiments of like women specifically because then they say that their brother slept in that room for 10 years without incident so i would wonder if it's connected to women somehow. So then I would want to like yeah. get my mom to sleep in that room or a female friend and just start running some scenarios. I think in the name of science, like whoever this person is, like since the the thing was like jealous of them being romantically with somebody, mm-hmm. they just need to be with a lot of people. Yeah, I knew where that like was Like just a, every few weeks, just a new yeah. girl. Yeah. And then they stay there for years. Years. And just to really run tests. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And they should like try different things with each of these girls. Like maybe, maybe like this female really likes this. Yeah, yeah, maybe like, this like female likes that. Like you like like different like role plays. Is or, the like, entity different... affected by these type of sex acts? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, just again, just like in the name of like just uh, you know doing a diligent study. Yeah, well, you need to collect a lot of data. A lot of data. A lot of data. Mm-hmm. Gotta, Dif- like... Different races, different looks, different shapes. Yeah, different ages. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hair color, eye mm-hmm. color, religious beliefs. Yeah. Everything you re- well, you got to have sex with everybody to really like figure this out i and, and i wonder if it really matters if it's like that person who wrote the mm-hmm. story like could it be anybody like could anyone volunteer for this job yeah 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 i yeah. don't know yeah well if you guys are interested like we can probably connect you with well, this person and maybe there are folks right. who are still there and maybe you can run this very mm-hmm. awesome really necessary uber specific scientific experiment is is the entity jealous of like three girls sharing that same bed, Ooh, all in oh. the same romantic relationship with this person? That is a great idea. Four, ten, you know, yeah. it's like you got to you got to like do your diligence. Yeah, this is this is a good idea. <laughs> I think we'd make excellent scientists. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> weirdo. I knew exactly where you were going immediately. Like I know the tone of your voice. Yeah, I was like okay, yep, here we go. It's gonna be all about that. Okay, silly monkey. Okay, and then I have one more story. Like maybe scary, but also just like, I don't know. I've really, we've not had a um, ghosts helping us out in a long time kind of story. So I do, I think this is great. I've started this a million times and I've erased it a million times. A million times in one, really, because I just don't know how to start. The story I want to tell you is an experience that happened to me when I was eight years old in 1978 when I was in the fourth grade. Now, almost 42 years ago, this is the very first time I've ever shared this story since that day. But I remember every single detail as if it were yesterday. My mom picked me up from school to take me to the orthodontist. We were on our way to pick up my little sister from kindergarten, but my mom needed, uh, but my mom decided we had enough time to stop by our house to pick up a few things she needed for the PTA meeting that afternoon at the school. She pulled into the driveway, we got out of the car, and we opened the front door. Usually, I would run off to my room or run to the kitchen for a snack. But for some reason, my mom grabbed my hand and told me to stay with her, that we'd only be there for a minute. We walked into the house, which seemed unusually quiet, even though it was just her and I at home. 
she held my hand a little bit tighter, and we hurried down the hall. As we neared the end of the hallway to my mom and dad's bedroom, my mom cautiously reached for the door. And as she reached for the door, we both heard a voice whisper, Don't open the door. My mom jerked her hand away from the door and looked around for the voice, then looked at me. And I asked, Who is that? And she replied, You heard that too? She reached for the door again, and this time we heard the voice say, May, don't open that door. And immediately I said, Mom, you heard that, right? Yeah, 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 I I heard it. She replied, and then again reached for the door. And as she reached for the door a third time, we both saw two hands place theirs over my mom's hand, and at the same time the voice said, May, don't open that door. As we looked from the hands that laid on top of my mom's, we both saw a face immediately and knew it was my grandma. My grandma, who had died in 1972 when I was just two years old. She had absolutely adored my mom and would do anything for my mom and her grandkids. She was the only person in the world to call my mom May. We, with both my mom and I looking at my grandma, she said again, May, don't you open that door. My mom and I could not deny what had happened and we knew we needed to get out of there. We knew that my grandma told my mom not to open that door for some very specific reason, and we immediately left the house. We drove to pick my sister up from school, dropped off the paperwork we had stopped by the house to grab, and we headed back home. And as we pulled up to the house, we were horrified. There were three police cars and a helicopter hovering over our house. My mom got out of the car and ran to the front door where she was met by two police officers, and they asked her some questions and found out that we had been there not 30 minutes earlier and then they escorted us into the house. They took us back to my mom and dad's bedroom, the room where we were told by my dead grandma not to enter, and I will never forget how I felt and the look on my mom's face when we saw four men sitting on my mom's comforter, the comforter my grandma made for my mom and dad just before she died. My dad's tools were strewn about the room, and the big sliding glass door was shattered. The gun safe had been broken into and all of the guns were gone. The police officers said that the men who were apprehended told them that they had been sitting on the bed, waiting as quietly as possible for someone to turn that doorknob and open the door. When they heard us run back down the hallway, they hurried out the back door and hid in someone's backyard until they ended up being caught. I never shared this story with anyone outside of our family, and I believe that my mom died not sharing this story with a single soul as well. I think we tend to either believe or assume that all ghosts are negative, that they are scary or evil. But I can say that I believe not all ghosts are that way. My grandma, my angel, as Mm. I have called her since that day, was there to save the life of me and my mom. And that's my not scary ghost story. Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. That's a great story. Isn't that fantastic? Mm -hmm. I'm glad we found out exactly what was behind the door. For a second there, I was worried that the story was going to end, you know, without knowing what the danger was. Sure. And I couldn't get the um uh the scene from seven. I knew it. What's in the What's box? What's in the box? Come on. What's in the box? This is one time I really liked Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. So cool. Me too. I know. I hope that like uh my fam my dead family is all always looking out. Oh yeah, Lisa. Uh, you Lisa's know, you know what's shitty is like I got in a car time. accident several weeks ago. No, no, no help for my family. No, no ghost was like, look again. Don't <laughs> break, pull out yet. Break harder. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Those were great. Those were great. Thank you. Do you want to, do you want to start off our Annabelle's today? Okay. 
I will go first. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon and in all the ways you show up for us, Annabelle's. We appreciate you so much. Anna Jansen, Cody Hensel, Jake Ash, Griffel, David Mays, Robin Noguchi, Valentino. Ooh, I knew someone named Valentino once. I loved her so much. <laughs> Jacqueline Kramer, Telelu, and Alicia Saft. Well, thank you, Annabelle's. And, You're welcome. And I would like to thank the following Annabelle's as well. Uh, Jacob Lowry, Nick Johnston, Hobo Zombie Killer, <laughs> Laura Miller, Matthew Dumas, or Dumas, or Dumas, Dumas, uh, Dumas. Uh, Rex Staheli, Stephanie Larocco, Ben Etrim, uh, Leah Hebert, or, or Lee Hebert, L-E-I-G-H, Leigh Hebert? Lee. Lee, okay. And then uh, Edwin, wait for it, and that is written in. Edwin, wait for it, Gonzalez. <laughs> so silly. <laughs> I love it. Wait for it. Wait for Gonzales. it. All right. And then I have some spooby shout outs. Great. To Blake from Brittany. Happy birthday, Teddy Bear. To Diana and Megan from Jared. You're my best friends. I love you both so much. To Courtney from BG. Love you very much. You are the best part of me. Hmm. Oh, I have a feeling it's supposed to be BJ for some reason. It's always, weird... it's always supposed to be BJ. Stop it. To Evan. Ha, I hear the boys laughing. <laughs> Who doesn't have a BJ joke? <laughs> to Evan from your dad. Happy birthday, buddy. I love you. To Brandon from Harper, Hank, and Danielle. Happy birthday. We love you and appreciate all you do for us. And to Seth from Maggie. What's better than a shout out for your birthday? Well, being told publicly that you are the funnier one. Happy belated birthday. <laughs> That's pretty cute. That's awesome. That is fun. And now, uh, one more very special thing. Big thanks to BetterHelp for partnering with us on this special segment. And now, welcome to Don't Be Scared to Ask for Help. We are going to share some advice given to us by Courtney Cope, licensed marriage family therapist and principal clinical operations manager, and David Yadish, licensed therapist and senior clinical operations manager at BetterHelp. We chatted with both Courtney and David at great length to ensure our advice is in line with healthy practices for better mental health. This is not just us winging it. Thank God. <laughs> All right. In this episode, we're going to answer some questions around relationships from our listeners. Mm -hmm. So let's get into it. First question. How do we, as a couple, handle our respective parental relationships in which we have outgrown their religious beliefs, but still keep them in our lives and our future children's lives? Hey, yeah, yeah. this is a very delicate topic because this is putting someone's value system into question. So when you enter into this conversation, make sure that you are calm and respectful, which can be challenging when your core belief systems are not the same. With that in mind, it would be really great if you could focus on the things that you do have in common. Mutual respect, love, communication. Maybe you can consider focusing on activities that you enjoy together. Go for a hike, go to a movie, go bowling. The goal is to build relationships and memories outside of religion. All of that said, if this approach doesn't achieve the desired outcome, or if you already know that this needs to be addressed head on, then you may need to start with a more direct approach and then build up to the shared experiences and memory building away from religion. In this particular instance, you might consider setting very real boundaries. When you discuss these boundaries, try starting with some language that might sound something like this. Mm -hmm. Mom, dad, my partner and I are raising our kids in the ways that we see best, just like you raised me. And while we might not agree on everything, I am asking you to please respect this boundary of mine. 
It's likely you didn't want others telling you how to raise me, and now it's my turn to do the same. Mm -hmm. Also, please be sure to tell your parents how much you love them and that you want them involved in their grandkids' lives and that these boundaries create a safe space that allows everyone to be on the same page while remaining in each other's lives. Don't forget, like your parents are human. They will 100% mess this up. They will ignore or forget the boundaries. It will be tricky and you will need to remind them of the boundaries from time to time and that's okay. Try compliment sandwiches if you have to tell them something that might upset them. Lead with something positive. Then share what you have to say that will possibly be inflammatory. Then end with something positive. For example, mom, I love you so much and you've always been such a wonderful listener and I need you to listen to me when it comes to how we're raising our kids. Church is not a part of our plan. I respect your right to place importance on it though. And I love that you will keep us in your prayers. Remain calm when you run into conflict and remember that timing matters when you choose to share sensitive information. Ah, that was really great. And that was a great question. And now we have one more. Now, Dan, I'm going to have mm -hmm. you handle this reply on your own because this is a situation that you've been through mm -hmm. that I've not been through. So yeah. I think it, it makes sense to come from you. But let me prompt you with this question. Okay. How do you begin your entire life over after a divorce and also losing your business? Aye, aye, aye. Uh, there are so many emotions wrapped up in a divorce or a significant breakup. The circumstances are going to be different for everyone because there are so many different reasons you and your significant other may have decided to go your separate ways. To start, allow yourself the time to feel all of the feels. Have those days when you just cry. Have those days when you are super angry. Grieve the loss of the relationship and all that it represented. Your partner, your friend, your family, your life plans. It is okay to feel every last feeling. You can't really move forward if you are shoving your feelings down. It can be wildly overwhelming to think about every single thing that you have to start over on. Find a new source of income. Thinking about falling in love again. You can make yourself crazy thinking about all of the things you have to do all over again. And it can be overwhelming to think about all of that at once. Even if you are someone who thrives in chaos or when your back is against the wall, there is just no way you are going to be able to do everything all at once. It would be wise to create a plan full of small, manageable steps so that you have some short-term goals that will get you to the long-term goals. Divorce can be so devastating that even the smallest of accomplishments can feel like a massive victory. Another suggestion would be to take a vacation. And what do we mean by that? Well, if your life affords you the opportunity to break your daily routine and get out of Dodge, then step away for a few days to gather your thoughts and process those initial emotions. If that's not an option, that's okay, which in this case uh, of losing your business as well as your marriage means it probably isn't. Try to break your daily routine and move things around. Can you add in a walk with a friend? Can you have a lunch outside in a park on a nice day for a change? Can you meditate for five minutes? A vacation doesn't have to involve travel or even a full day off. What are some small things you can give yourself that cost nothing at all, but will help you march forward? Can you find a song that fires you up? Listen to it every day to set the tone of your day. Create a motivational soundtrack. And keep in mind, no matter how hard it is, you actually will get through it. Trust yourself. Believe in your willpower to come out stronger. Find friends, family members who are good sources of support. Keep the people in your circle tight. Make sure, this is so important, you surround yourself with positive influences. It doesn't cost anything to enjoy the beauty of what's around you. Remember that. Download a, a free app, a free show, something that distracts you, makes you laugh, and focus, focus, focus on small moments of pleasure. 
Aw, thanks for sharing that, Dan. Mm -hmm. So much good advice. And that wraps up Don't Be Scared to Ask for Help. A big, big thank you to our sponsor, BetterHelp, and to Courtney Cope, Principal Clinical Operations Manager, and David Yadish, Senior Clinical Operations Manager at BetterHelp. Mm -hmm. Courtney Cope and David Yadish's input is general psychological information based on research and clinical experience. It's intended to be general and informational in nature. It does not represent or indicate an established clinical or professional relationship with those inquiring for guidance. Their feedback is in response to a written question, and therefore, there are likely unknown considerations given the limited context. Also, just because you might hear something on the show that sounds similar to what you're experiencing, beware of self-diagnosis. Diagnosis is not required to find relief, and you'll want to find a qualified professional to assess and explore diagnoses if that's important to you. If you or your partner are in crisis and uncertain of whether you can maintain safety, reach out for support. Crisis hotlines, local authorities. Have a safety plan that can be done with a therapist, too. And that is our show. I hope you liked that special edition of Scared to Death today. We'll just be doing that from time to time. Woohoo! Uh, thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith, Tyler C. for the work on social media, along with Ryan Handelsman, Logan again, running badmagicmerch.com, Tyler C. producing and directing today. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing my story emails, book editor Drew Atana for his work on book number four coming out now. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you'd like to watch the show. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content. See pics that accompany episodes. And if you don't want more ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes and more, check out our Patreon. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings bleed through time and space. Evil may pass through but have no home here within scared to death. And Magic Productions. Maybe like this female really likes this. Yeah, yeah, like, this like likes that. Like he's like like different like role plays. Is or, the like, entity different. affected by these type of sex acts? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Across America, BP supports more than two hundred and seventy-five thousand jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.